everybody! <laughs> it's then again with Guinea Glingo. Uh, yeah, okay. Woo, for a second there, I wondered if we were really starting. Well, uh, let's take a vote and see if we're oh going to start. Oh my goodness, what does the voice of the people say? The voice of the people says democracy. And that's a hint as to what the episode's about today. That's right. It's it's uh we decided to look at democracy in America, not only to Tocqueville's great best selling novel with rollicking adventures. Wait, wait, that wasn't a novel. Shh. As well as politics in America. Right. And, you know, democracy. What does it even mean? Right. And looking at the basic tenet that democracy is a dangerous thing and shouldn't be allowed to happen. The no, end. Wait, that's, is that what we're saying? I don't know. The founding fathers did. Well, you know, Kent Brockman, newscaster on The Simpsons, has one of my favorite lines about democracy, which is, I've said it once, I'll say it again, democracy just doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, but what is democracy? It's, it's the voice of the people. It's the strength of the people. I mean, it's literally the strength of the people from the two Greek... Democratia. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, from the people comes the strength of the government or whatever. And, you know, we do look to the Greeks as the founders of the Western tradition of democracy that then goes to the Romans for some reason, even though they weren't really a democracy. And then well, you know, they were a republic. Well, we'll see. And see, and there's a there's a very crucial difference there. There's a difference between a democracy and a republic. And you can have a democracy without being a republic. You can have a republic without being a democracy. Or you can be what we are, which is a democratic republic. We're a constitutional federal democratic republic. <laughs> exactly. You know, a good part of this episode is basically just going to be Ken and I arguing about precise <laughs> definitions. <laughs> As any good podcast about the past should be, we'll be defining our terms uh, every two yeah. sentences. But but seriously, uh, you know, d- democracy is where it's the voice of the people that is determining what shape the government will the, take. The people and, are sovereign. Right. And, and republic means you have a representative speaking on your behalf in that government. And... Especially with the Greeks, I mean, they, they practiced, as, as I wrote in my 10th grade history paper, direct democracy. In Athenian democracy in the city of Athens, you voted directly for the issue at hand. And that doesn't work when the population gets large. And yeah, it does. Or, or you have too many people voting. Yeah, exactly. But because not all the population right. in ancient Greece right. got to vote. You but. know, that's what the, Repub- the Republic model is, as practiced by the Romans. You have people who are speaking for you in the government, the, the senators or, or the, the tribunes and such. They are, they are you know, hopefully representing the will of the people, but they are definitely speaking for the people. And then when you combine those two, we elect someone to speak for us. That is, that's what we think of. That's what democracy means to modern Americans. Yeah, and, and and I think that's important because how America talks about democracy and defines it has changed over time, oh, yeah. even just in just common usage. So the, the founding fathers, as they're developing their ideas of how the, the government and the country should run with the Constitution, almost all of them, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Hamilton, John Jay, they're all like democracy, which they defined as a direct democracy, is just bad. Because the tyranny of the majority can take over and exactly. crush the individual rights of, a, of the group that only got 49.9% of the vote. Right. Um, and so they were very careful with that word and very careful to craft the Constitution. But right. time goes by, and you get to the 30s, uh, and, and, you know, we're making— The 1830s. A, I'm, yes. <laughs> 1830s. I, mean, I knew where you were. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, more people get to vote. And, and, dear listeners, what Glenn means by this is before the 1830s, there were substantial property requirements or, or, or requirements having to do with wealth or – it was viewed in the early republic that to, be, to have a proper stake 
in the government and in the society, you need to be a property owner. You need to have a vested interest in continuity and civic virtue. And merchant class is the lifeblood of virtue. That's or right, or yeah. property owning is, you know, that, that gives you a stake in, in the, you have a stake in the ongoing concern. And as Glenn points out, by the 1830s, especially just before uh, Andrew Jackson's election, a lot of states, uh, and it is a state-by-state state thing, decide, you know what, we're going to relax these property requirements. Right. Like in Georgia, you had to own 500 acres of land to vote. Initially, yeah. Initially. Yeah. And, you know, how many of us today could vote if that were still the case? I mean, virtually none of us. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was like 6% of the adult male population, and that's who we're talking about voting, folks. Let's right. be serious. Only 6% could directly vote. And uh, after these property restrictions, it shot up to 9%. Well, that's, <laughs> no, it was if, mostly in this in this time, in the, in the 20s and things, the, the democratization yeah. of enfranchisement, it was all free white males over the age of usually, usually 18. Usually. Or yeah. sometimes 20. Yeah. And so that makes the enfranchisement available to anyone. So now anyone right. can vote. And well, once again, it's done on a state-by-state state basis. It's, it's, a, not, it's yes. not a federal law that's exactly. passed. Exactly, because there's no, there is no right in the Constitution granted to you Absolutely. to vote. It's on a state. It's a fed, that's, that's the federal part of the constitutional federal Demo- democratic republic. <laughs> We're having to use so many words that's because so American system of government right. is so convoluted and right. was invented at, from geniuses long ago. Right. So as, as enfranchisement increases, then you start to get what the founding fathers began to fear, which is people just voting for things they wanted to see. And this is about the time de Tocqueville comes to America, a French thinker, philosopher. He was a bureaucrat in France, and he comes to America because he wanted to examine what at that time was really the only free... It was the grand experiment. The, the grand experiment. And in a nutshell, the, the Tocqueville <laughs> is looking at the remarkable idea that this entire nation exists based on equality. Mm-hmm. Again, we're talking about the citizens, which is free white males, but, right. but universal equality of people within the body politic. That did not happen anywhere else at this point right. in the world. And it's, and it's interesting that it's de Tocqueville doing this because, I mean, he is from France where the big French Revolution was supposed to be the great equalizer. It was supposed to be even more democratic yeah. in its results and what happened? wasn't. <laughs> well, they, they kind of eventually sort of worked that way over the next 50 years. Well, yeah, exactly. But, 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 but when it's coming in the 1830s, no. And and that's what happened, you know, what our founding fathers were afraid would happen if democracy was right. spread too quickly to too many people it's didn't happen in, in France. France. Yeah. You get incredible equalization so rapidly that suddenly you get a dictator slash emperor who takes the country into wars and everything. So it's right. that's what France was dealing that with. That was Napoleon, everyone. Good old Napoleon. <laughs> but you know, uh, I, you know, I think what I'm what I'm remembering when I said the six and nine percent, I think that's actually direct election of senators is what is what well, the percentage was because also dear listeners you didn't elect your senator your state legislature yeah. elected your senator for you and that's another and that's part of the jacksonian revolution uh, well is because it, that, that uh, comes, the, the, the 17th amendment comes way later than that well but but the individual states are starting to do it is what i'm saying oh yes yes, yes individual yes, yes. states in the 1830s it's not once again it's not all of them because it's right. not a federal mandate but there are several states that relax that standard which helps propel some senators into power that are friendly to Jackson's policies, right. which gives him narrow margins and a lot of crucial votes. Yeah. 
So it's it's there's a lot of things wrapped up in this democratic revolution of the 1830s. It's 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 definitely as you say enfranchisement, but it's also some states changing the way senators are elected or appointed and even even that little bit of change has a huge result in the huge. in the two terms of Andrew Jackson. It, it, yeah, and and don't don't think that they're sitting there thinking, "Oh, we're going to be kind humans to all the, <laughs> right. the, the the no this is this is all political machinery right because much like in ancient rome they realized that if they begin to enfranchise certain groups of people they they enfranchise the people they know are going to support their causes exactly so when they get just a touch of majority in the the state legislature or what have you then they begin to change things huh tyranny of the, of the majority just like de tocqueville said was going to happen <laughs> and and he has a lot of interesting things if you haven't read him you don't even have to necessarily agree with a lot of his conclusions but it's so interesting to get this just outsider's insights. view yeah. of america in this time and i've got one quote here that i'll that i'll read him because again in this early period as they understood democracy it was they defined democracy as more and more almost direct democracy almost, to them, universal enfranchisement. And coming from Europe, he saw a lot of problems with this. He thought that the stratification of society wasn't necessarily a bad thing because it was supposed to mediate the passions of the people. It it promotes stability. It promotes stability. As a matter of fact, that's what the Senate was supposed to be. George Washington said the Senate is the saucer in which the passions of the people are cooled. Yep. But de Tocqueville says... The democratic tendency leads men unceasingly to multiply the privileges of the state and to circumscribe the rights of private persons, often sacrificed without regret and almost always violated without remorse. Men become less and less attached to private rights just when it is most necessary to retain and defend what little remain of them. (laughs) Because even then he was starting to see that the broader strokes of enfranchisement and democratization of the electorate are starting to destabilize the government. Maybe not destabilize, but starting to begin the factionizing process and and rapidly increase that the further down the road they went from even right. the 18 I'm sorry the early 1800s like right. the election of 1800 and things but people began to evolve their view of democracies and republics and you know we get to the civil war and people are beginning to realize that well maybe there's more to it maybe there's maybe the <laughs> Four score and seven years ago, maybe they were right, <laughs> right and figured out some great balance until you get to the 1930s mm-hmm. with Roosevelt and all the things going on in the world. And we're making, you know, even in World War One with Wilson, what are we doing? We're making the world safe, safe for, for democracy. democracy, not constitutional, federal, democratic, you know, <laughs> right. republic, but democracy. So right. people have latched onto that idea of the people with power so strongly that. The definition of the word starts to change. Well, yeah, and and I think in a very real sense, in the popular voice, in the popular mind, in the popular perception, that now democracy is synonymous not only with the voice of the people, but of the rights of the people guaranteed by law, the rule of law, and representation. I mean, it's sort of become conflated with every other thing. The the one word democracy is the mighty giant that slays all ills. Well, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) <laughs> it's and you know this is this is sometimes a very unpopular view but when you look at I'm th- this is this is my tendencies coming out but right. when you look at things the whole dream of the the ideals behind the American Revolution were that we were going to create an egalitarian society where right. everyone had a say in our own government but how close are the operations of that government 
to the everyday will of the citizens. Right. And let me just do a quick sidebar yeah. on yeah. that. This desire for an egalitarian system that runs close to the will of the people is one of the reasons why very, very overtly, overtly stated the original founders were very much anti-political party. Very. They, they viewed what had happened in with Britain and the American uh, colonies in the 1760s and 70s as they break down because of political parties, very specifically. So they created a system. I mean, the Constitution and the balances of powers, the checks, the balances, the rights of the people, the, 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 the functioning between the federal and the state governments is all predicated on there not being political parties. And the instant Washington is out of office, I mean, you know, the second election, political parties. Right. They, as a fact, they start forming during his administration. He doesn't like it, but that's just the way the people are. And suddenly you have this rise of political parties that, good Lord, in the elections of, of 1800 and of 96 and then 1800, they're, they're almost disasters because, well, you, you know. Well, faction. The, the faction. Fa- that was faction, the word faction, they used is faction. Faction, faction, faction. And, you know, how many ballots does it take to get, to get Jefferson elected? Because, Something because, like that. Because they're hung up, because they're factions, and once people de- develop into factions or parties, you can't get an electoral majority right. unless someone goes, well, I'll vote for the other guy after all. So the voice of the people, although we think it's accurately represented by political parties, I am one of those that says, no, it isn't, ever. (laughs) Because as Washington said, the instant you get factions, you get people working for the faction and not for the the common wheel, for the greater good. Uh, But unfortunately, (laughs) democracy kind of has to have that grease of political party to make things move. And and that that is... I'm a big fan of the Constitution yeah, and, the, and the ideals here. espoused in it, but the found, this this I think this is the one great mistake they made that they could have dealt with. Uh-huh. S- slavery was there, but yeah. they I think they did the best they could with the slavery question in 1786 when they were writing this. Right. But one thing they could have addressed, they were so ideologically driven that we are a new thing in this world and right. we will not go down the pat- party and faction path. Right. That they refuse to address it in the mechanics of government. Exactly. They said we're not going to do that. Right. Just and of course it happened. And the the basic foundation of our government was not equipped to take parties into account. Right. Because so now they thought we, it was anathema. And so now we we see that playing out today. Right. When you got you know when, and, when it's clunky and doesn't work properly, it's because well now we're seeing two systems that weren't meant to work together. Now, and that's they two, can. Two systems. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. This, not only did they create this thing that didn't take into account parties, right. but it turns out that it almost creates only two parties. Yes. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, the, the thing is, when, uh, when it does work, it works pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when it doesn't, it well, we see what happens. Right, and, and, that, and that's, that's the real trick of it, is this great experiment that they began – and that we are still wrestling with. Right. It, well, you know, and I think it bears pointing out that so, you know, we, we see that that first, you know, Washington's two terms, at least the elections aren't driven by party as soon as the next one after him, they are. But then after the War of 1812, the so-called era of good feelings, it's sort of, it's every, kind of interesting. Yeah. It's sort of of its own, it, it, 
of its own volition, the, the societal imperative of party just sort of fades away for about 10 years. Yeah, because everything's Cause going everyone's way. Everybody's kind of on the same page. <laughs> and then Jackson doesn't get elected in 1824 because well, of the because corrupt of the, elect, the Electoral College, which he then railed against and tried to get abolished his whole two terms. But that brings party back. And what is party driven at that time? By personality. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and honest political differences, but really it's personality that brings it just charging back, and we've had it ever since. Yeah. And, and, and now, parties have changed. Oh, haven't they? Oh, my gosh, you know. As, you know and they will go up and down. I will always be an 1840s Whig, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I, there's, there's no other ones out there. But, 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 you know, we're kind of getting to party a lot here, but it has become integral to the way our democracy works. So you kind of have to talk about the two of them together. I don't know. If the, I don't know that we can fix it. Yeah, I mean, if oh. yeah. So, but 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 that's just it. So, what is now? If are the people sovereign or? Are the parties the people Those elect sovereign? sovereign. Right. And, and, and therefore, you have two sovereign powers struggling with each other. Right. You get this deadlock, and you get this right. incredible, bitter, binary conflict that you have. And, and contra- compare and contrast this with, say, European parliamentary systems, like, like the British system. Right. You know, there are— it, How many parties does the U.K. have right now? Uh, yeah, several. It's <laughs> the answer several. I'm going to throw. But <laughs> that's what I was going to say. You know, it, More than two. The parliamentary system— is more flexible in that it does allow for more parties. And, and you know, Britain, it kind of went down the same road in the, in the 19th century as the United States in realizing, oh, we need to let more people vote. So- yeah, but here's, here's what's interesting. Many of you may not know this. In a way, even though the UK does the Democratic Index and, of course, ranks itself very high up on the scale, <laughs> higher than the United States, the parliamentary system is actually has a lot of those buffers we're talking about between the will and sovereignty of the people and the operations of government. Right. For example, here in the United States, the people elect the president. They, every individual votes and creates the head of state, right? right. That is direct. And, and well. We choose yeah, electors. Electors, yes, we choose electors. <laughs> but, but yes. But, but, Both but the will of people goes to the head of state. Right. In a parliamentary system, you elect your representatives, and then those representatives doesn't choose the head of state, but say that the main officer, the prime minister. The prime minister, right. And that legislative body, therefore, appoints and can remove that, legi- that, right. that prime minister. The prime minister can appoint and remove members of the legislature. And, and, you know, and they've got the queen in there mixed up. God save but the queen. They, but they, yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and here's, here's the pro of the, of the parliamentary system. They can have snap elections. We can't. Right. So, 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 you know, I, I like both systems. I think both have merits. Uh, but it, it's very interesting how from a common wellspring, because the U.S. and the U.K. government, just for those two as examples, yeah. do have a common wellspring. Yeah. I mean, my God, you know as well as I do, the first 20 years, Br- British law, British coin, and, and, yeah, and, and, and British precedent were used in America. But how each system has now evolved along the same path of ostensible we want to give more people the right to vote, but there are still us with parties, them with the way the parliament works. There's still buffers. Yeah, and, and and people, those buffers. This is this is just Glenn's opinion. Maybe I'm an elite. <laughs> That's gonna be another uh, podcast, by the way. Just Glenn's opinion. <laughs> it's just gonna be a rant for six just hours. Just <laughs> Settle in with popcorn. <laughs> You've got to have any 
government that deals with an absolute sovereign, whether it is a king, whether mm-hmm. it is the people, whether it is an aristocracy, you've got to have buffers right. so that things don't get done that crush the minorities, the m- minorities literally or right. politically, right. or the rights of the individual. For example, obviously states' rights was a big deal leading up to the Civil War, and it was con- and Thomas Jefferson considered states more sovereign, more powerful, more having more control over themselves than the federal government should ever have over them. Right. So that is why, and remember, a lot of people don't realize this, when the Constitution was originally written, the House of Representatives was decided by popular vote within the state. As you said, right. Kim, usually, right. usually the Senate, the senators were voted on by the state Legislature. legislatures, which themselves were also popular vote. Right. But, so, but so there, the, was, there was that buffer. So the senators, a set of political leaders appointed other political leaders to right. the national scale, and there were also representatives of the people on the national scale. And, so and you have the balance. Sense, that's very much like the parliamentary system. Exactly. Even though it's not called that, but and, it's like that. And it created a great balance between the states and the people and the federal government and things like that. Then when you when you start to get senators also elected by popular vote, and I understand this was this was a move towards greater democracy and to give the people even more control and more voice in the government. But the problem is the system that was set up in the Constitution depended on that uh, balance. Right, right. And once both houses of the Congress are both elected by popular vote, they're the same thing, only one stays in much longer than they should. Right. The whole point of having the popularly elected representatives only have two-year terms was so the will the, the you, you have a bloodless the revolution could happen every, time you every two it. years. Exactly. Now you've got them in there for, for longer than that. Right. And they stick there and they're both popularly elected. And right. the states, literally, each state in the union now has no representation in the federal government. They don't. <laughs> on paper, they do as senators. <laughs> right. But the states don't have any right. representation. Right. The on state the as state. an entity. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, uh, I want to uh, jump in with, I want to go back to our good friend de Tocqueville for a second. Because, you know, when I said earlier that in the popular mind that the word democracy has come to encompass basically every concept of what could possibly be good about government. Right. <laughs> in, in, <laughs> in, including, including laws and laws that protect the peoples. You know, we, we recently have been doing a series of programs here at the History Center about uh, the Indian Removal Act. And, and, you know, de Tocqueville, I'm going to paraphrase here, but one of the things he looked at, because it was going on while he was here, was Indian removal mm-hmm. and the implementation of this federal act. And he says to the effect that never was a greater injustice carried out with more strict observance of the legalities of and niceties of the law. Uh, yes. Because yeah. it was all done nice and legal. So Nice and legal. Nice and legal. <laughs> but that speaks to, does a democracy necessarily produce equitable law? I mean, the, the, well, the, 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 the five civilized tribes, for instance, would say, well, it produced law. I wouldn't say it was equitable. Yeah. And, and fair enough. And as we've pointed out in the series of Chautauquas and the program and the, and the great one you did, right. the laws and the efforts in that nice legal uh, procedure to remove the Indians was totally will of the people, people by majority vote. Absolutely. That is the classic example of a tyranny of the majority. Exactly. Exactly. Disrespecting or eliminating the rights of the minority and the, the minority peoples. Exactly. And minority I think that and since Libba like, held her hand up a minute ago. So it's time for us to wrap it up. So once again, thanks from Ken and Glenn. Bye. Don't vote. <laughs> then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.